Hey, this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another special episode of Andertons TV, where today uh, it is my absolute pleasure uh, to introduce to you all Mr. Alan Hines, all the way from every... I love you both. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. No, it's great. So you've been on a kind of crazy whirlwind tour of everywhere, of Japan and Rome and LA and then London. And... It's been kind of piecemeal just because some things happened. Uh, I was scheduled to be in Japan and then we had a direct flight to South Africa. Then I was to go to Italy and then I was going home. And then Randy Crawford, who some of your viewers may know, who I've worked with through the years, uh, she's a little sick, a little under the weather, so we canceled South Africa. And uh, the guys in Italy said, well, come early. And because they're Italian, they didn't really quite have all this stuff as organized. <laughs> and I understand this is the southern Italian thing more than the other parts of Italy. But I got there, and I ended up spending more days than I wanted to, but I mean, what a not a bad place to be stuck, is it? It's beautiful. In Italy. So then I went there, and then you, we got in touch, and then I added this at the end, and uh, which I appreciate you having me here. And but I've been, yeah, I've been running around the world lately. Well, is, I, uh, I am super excited. Um, like you say, shout out to Servo for for hooking me <coughs> up with Alan, um, who I kind of, I said before, I kind of, I, I knew you from some of the product endorsements that you'd done, and some of your teaching background. Um, but uh, you know, there's a couple of good photographs of me out there. Yeah, you're right. Some for good exactly. photos. Yeah, that's uh, right. But I, I started. So I'm listening to the to some of your albums, and I'm just going, this guy is so the kind of guitar player, I suppose, that I would always aspire to be. You know, it's just oh, very melodic and very much about touch and phrasing and feel and and you know, light and shade and all that <clears> kind of stuff. Well, thank you very much. Well, I mean, very I don't well. know. You know, that's that's. The best compliment I ever get is that people hear me and they go, they know it's me after a few notes. That to me is like more of a compliment mm. than saying I'm the fastest or I'm the most, you know, the deepest or I can play over changes better than that. But, it, you know, it's a long, I mean, I'm old, so I've been around for a long time. So I kind of have kind of weeded out the flotsam and jetsam as much as I can in many aspects of my life, uh, you know, for the last uh, 40 years I've been playing guitar. I actually started playing guitar late. I was a... Um, you know, as a kid, I grew up in Alabama, so I was exposed to a lot of blues, but at the same time, I had older brothers and sisters, and they would bring home records back in, we're talking like the early 60s, so I heard Rolling Stones and Beatles and Steve Winwood, a lot of British influence on me mm -hmm. early on, because uh, uh, Led Zeppelin was a huge influence of, uh, on me, but growing up in the South, so was Dwayne Allman and the Allman Brothers, the early Allman Brothers stuff, I never, you know, the later uh, offshoots of the Allman Brothers, the Southern bands didn't really kill me that much, but the... Uh, Early Allman Brothers stuff was really progressive stuff. And I was lucky to have a, you know, a, a pretty liberal, open-minded family. My mom let me play guitar when I was young. Um, I grew up in a university town, so even though I was in Alabama, we were still listening to stuff like Gentle Giant and you know, A Soft Machine. And, and a lot of them were like these British mm -hmm. you know, progressive rock bands. And um, uh, then I got introduced to Steely Dan, Little Feet, Joni Mitchell. These were like all huge. Men. Yeah. When I think back on it now, most of my influence were, there was more uh, songwriters than it really was about, you know, the guitar playing. I mean, when I was listening to this, when I was, before I even picked up a guitar, I knew lyrics to Joni Mitchell songs, I knew all the Beatles songs, you know, because it was, so music was a big influence even before I thought about playing guitar. I played French horn in high school, and that wasn't very cool to be in the marching band 
when you're 14 years old, you know, there's no girls <laughs> to the, tr the French <laughs> horn player and with a marching band, you know, the hat, the little thing on it. So anyway, that's when I switched to guitar. And uh, being down south and being in the you know early 70s, what a fertile time in the world. You know, yeah. I remember people saying back then, like when it got towards the 80s, they said, oh, there'll be another Beatles. Um, you know, it just happens every 20 or 30 years. It's, everything goes in cycles. But I don't think so now. You know, I think it was like a really special time to be alive. So I was like, I had a lot of professors, kids uh, were my friends. So I got turned on to a lot of, you know, whether it was books or just a lot of culture in general that you wouldn't think a lot of kids down in Alabama did. Mm -hmm. But we had, we had plenty of... <laughs> Plenty of everything, plenty of drugs and everything down there. You know, we had lots of mushrooms. We're down the street and get some mushrooms. <laughs> Go listen to some King Crimson, you know. So. The drugs, kids. <laughs> oh, I'm not advocating it. <laughs> no, it's fine. We can, we Don't can talk, about, talk that. about it unless you got no. some. No, okay. So, I mean, I, I'm always fascinated about what it was uh, that the, the switch that goes on in your head, the album you heard, or. or the, the guy you or the girl you saw playing and you just went some catalyst something that just yeah. set me off yeah yeah I am too but I think if I I mean if I were to you know it's the funny thing about doing these master classes that I, I'm lucky enough to do now around the world is that you you self evaluate you end up like you know people ask you well how do you do this or what did you think about this or how, where did this come from you kind of you do a lot of soul searching and a lot of um, there are a couple of landmark things for me when I was a kid. Um, I saw the Allman Brothers, probably the first time I ever saw a Marshall amp with a, mm -hmm. with a Les Paul, was right after Dwayne Allman had died. The Allman Brothers, who lived 40 miles from where I was, they came to Auburn University and they played a concert. I remember standing in front of Dickie Betts' amp and just going, holy moly, man, I've never seen guitars sound like this. I've never heard guitars, just the impact it had, the sound of the two drummers and their music, even because Dickie Betts was really playing his ass off then. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you are that hip to the Allman Brothers, but you know, Dwayne always... He used to always, even as a joke, he used to say, oh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the popular one, but Dickie's the really good one. And back then, Dickie Betts was really playing some really great stuff. Like, um, even to this day, I use for my consummate you know, tone of Les Paul humbucker, I say, listen to the solo that he plays live on One Way Out. Right. It's the first solo on that song, and the sound of his Les Paul just screaming through a Marshall with no effects. It's just you hear all the harmonics, and you hear his fingers, and, you know, sure, I mean, there's like, Maybe technically he might rush some here and there or whatever, but the tone and the heart is like just beautiful. So that was that was a turning point. That's when I said I want to do that, um, and so I picked up a guitar and started playing uh, in the high school jazz ensemble they had. When, mm -hmm. uh, they but just started with a blues rock kind of vibe, blues rock country kind of well, vibe. Well, of course, that growing up in Alabama, there was a lot mm -hmm. of country and blues, of course, and there's the sound of you know guitars, you know, with that kind of sound, you know, to have an open, you know. The open stringness of, of uh, what the beauty of what a Telecaster could do. I heard a lot of that early on, not knowing what it was. But then I went and saw, I mean, they're like little things in my life that, um, that kind of turned me around. Little Feet was a, a great influence on my life early on. Lowell George, not many people know this band, Little Feet, but they had just incredibly great songs, mm -hmm. great arrangements, and Lowell George played. He had this heart and, and this, I wish I could have met this guy because I think he was just a, a character who I would have liked, who... Um, just a really smart, kind of a genius of a guy who did what he did really well. And um, after that, I saw uh, George Harrison with um, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. We all hopped in my dad's Impala and uh, drove up to Atlanta, Georgia. It must have been 72, I think, or three, and saw George Harrison with uh, the Dark Horse Tour. 
and there was a guitar player, and I happened to be lucky wherever my seat was in Atlanta that was sitting right in front of the guitar player, who I looked in the brochure, and it turns out it was Robin Ford. And I'd never heard <laughs> guitar played like this before either, because all of a sudden, here's a guy playing with like, the sweetest tone and playing like kind of jazzy lines mm. on guitar, and I'd never really heard that done before. Um, so from that point on, of course, everything that had his name on it, or Larry Carlton, of course, from my Joni Mitchell stuff, I would just... I scooped up every record, and, I, and when I finally got lucky, lucky enough to meet Robin years later, I mean, I knew every one of his solos. He had played on all the Yellow Jacket stuff. And how were you learning stuff at this time? Was it all just by ear, or were you getting just some by ear, which tuition? Is, or? Yeah, totally. I, mean, I was learning wrong, you know. I mean, I was, and I talk about this in my classes too. Uh, when I went through a stage where I really wanted to be Alan Holdsworth, and it wasn't so much for the the choice of notes that he played, but it was just his touch. And people kind of forget what a beautiful um, tone he got on guitar mm -hmm. and what some of his genius was just the beautiful melodic stuff he could play. It just sounded like he was singing, like a violin player almost. Mm -hmm. I think, think he may have played violin early on, I think. But anyway, but I remember trying to learn this stuff on records. We didn't have YouTube or any way to slow things down. So I would take a, uh, you know, my parents' little turntable a little General Electric that had a 33, switch mm -hmm. on it to 16, and I turned the three, 33 records at 16 and a half, so it wasn't even quite half exactly. I was like learning licks like, sounded like this, kind of. <laughs> like, what are those notes, you know? But I was trying best I could, you know, and, and that's what I tell my students now. I say, you know, if you're gonna learn something, you should learn it by ear, not halfway down, like halfway slow, but you should learn it by ear, not go to YouTube first, because you end up, using your ear more and even if you learn it in the wrong place or you learn it incorrectly it's still the journey that where you mm. learn most of your stuff i think you know it's like maybe the difference between reading a book and and seeing a movie mm. you know you, you have to use your imagination a little bit more um and you might and your interpretation is going to be way different than somebody else's might be but that's how you kind of get more of your own style i think you get more bang for your buck if you figure out or don't figure out or you try to just get the same feeling that somebody got and that's the great thing about guitars how emotive and how much uh, expression you can do with two notes, you know. We're going to get round to that because I'm. I, we were talking in the in the car earlier, uh, and I and I love. I love the idea that that regardless of what level you're at technically, there's something that you can try and learn from this. Uh, you know the way you approach. The, the, the touch and the feel and the dynamics within your playing. But go, going back to your sort of timeline, what when was it that you thought, I think I want to be a professional guitar player then? You know, was that fairly early on or? Yeah, I mean, I got out of, when I got out of, out of high school, I started playing bands immediately. I think one summer I delivered pizzas at the little university. I think that's what I did. And you're still in Alabama at this point? Still in Alabama. Mm -hmm. So this is like 1974. And I got out and I just happened to have some really good friends uh, and back then, you know, now, look, everybody has a guitar. Everybody has, is a guitar player. It's like Frisbees. Everybody has one in their house, you know, guitars now. But back then, if you play guitar, it was pretty special, you know. And yeah. I had one, and I just, I took to it pretty quick, and I had a pretty good ear for harmony, maybe because I played French horn early on. But um, my 2B brother-in-law, Jack Fitzpatrick, who was a great keyboard player, still is, who lives in Alabama, he kind of taught me basics about harmony and how to harmonize. And we just started, uh, we put a band together. We had, you know, we had a bass player friend who was a great singer, Rob Alexander, who went on to play with Eric Johnson um, in one of his first bands. Great singer, great musicians all around. Um, uh, and we just started playing cover stuff. We started getting gigs at the local colleges, because in Alabama there's a lot of colleges mm -hmm. that's 
uh, Auburn University in Tuscaloosa and Georgia and Florida. Spring break in Florida it was just crazy. But we were we put together a band and we were playing whatever the popular songs were on the radio. And at that time, it was just great for guitar players. I mean, you could you could turn on the radio and there was you know Stairway to Heaven, the complete version, or then there was a you know a, a, a American Pie. Um, what was his name? The guy. You know, the songs <laughs> that were like plain. ten minutes long. Yeah. You know, or you'd hear a, a traffic song, or you'd hear. You know, so there was no limit, and everything had guitar solos. So it was a really fertile time. I mean, it was a great time to be a guitar player learning. So we would do a Beatles medley, then we'd do a Steely Dan medley, then we'd do a Stick song, then we'd do Foreigner, then we'd do like you know Earth, Wind, and Fire medley. You know, we had the the variety was just great. And then we would back then at the time fusion was creeping into guitar players' mm -hmm. world too. So we started throwing in like a Chick Corea song or a Yellow Jacket song or a Dixie Dreg song. So the I mean, it'd be hilarious now to see the song list that we had in the band back then because it was really a mixture and people were, loved it. You know, as long as they could dance every other song to their favorite <laughs> Jimmy Buffett song or whatever was popular at the time, they were happy and, and we got away with murder. Um, and so we started making money and, and just right out of high school, I started making enough where I could live by myself and afford rent. I was just cool. lucky. I was just, you know, I had, yeah, that is cool. I had a big friend network and, uh, and there was, back then there were just tons of places to play and we would hop in a... Econoline van with a U-Haul in the back and travel eight hours to Opelousas, Louisiana and play in front of some adoring fans and get drunk afterwards and have fun all through the night and go do it someplace else. <laughs> yeah, it was a great lifestyle there for a while, you know, until I got a little more serious, you know. Yeah, well, it's, so so I guess at some point or other, as you say, that the, you know, you can love the almost the extended student life of just earning enough money to eat and pay the rent. But... You know, yeah, life obviously. You know, as a guitar player, you've obviously gone. No, there's, there's. I need to take this to the next level. That's so, right. So where's that? Yeah. So that was. Um, you know, we were starting. My ears were good enough to pick up solos off of Steely Dan records mm -hmm. or off of Chicory or whatever I was listening to, but I really didn't understand where all the notes were coming from. I mean, I could kind of generally go, that hey, looks like an A minor chord, but I'm not really sure what this other note is in there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just kind of used my ear and accepted that for a while. And then uh, Berkeley College of Music was kind of getting popular because they had people like Pat Metheny uh, were starting to teach up there. And this is all of a sudden there was a school you could go to where you could actually major in guitar mm -hmm. and take guitar courses and um, more of a jazz school it, it was at the time. So I saved up some money and borrowed some money and I went to Berkeley in 1978. Mm -hmm. I remember my first, um, my first day in class, I thought it was pretty cool because I like, got into a kind of a high harmony class and there was like 60 students and six, um, six, it was oh. a, 60 students, it was wow, a big class, big, big class. class. And this guy walked in, the t teacher who I think is still there, Ed Tomasi. And um, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Don't think so. The Whiplash about the drummer who like is really mean to his oh, students. Oh, yes, 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 yes. It's really popular for you. I haven't seen it, which is, but I've, I've Which is not really trailers, how yeah. many teachers really teach. But anyway, this guy <laughs> looked like that. He had eyebrows like this, you know, and he walked on stage <laughs> like a military guy, you know, and everybody's very quiet. And I was in the front with my pencil, ready to learn, you know. And he looks at me, he goes, he points right at me. He goes, "Give me, give me all the notes in the C sharp minor seven flat five chord." And I just kind of froze. I went, Ugh, C sharp. That's all I could think of, you know. So then he, he went to this little Japanese girl next to me. And she goes, C sharp E G B. And he went around the room and he just went. He asked everybody key signatures and what's the four chord of this. And I realized I don't know anything, you know. So out of embarrassment, I, mean, I went back to my dorm room and cried. I went back to my dorm room and I just. Uh, I just was so embarrassed. I sat there. I just memorized everything. Like, so within two weeks, I kind of knew the basic stuff, which is, um, I've had this debate with other teachers before. I have one friend of mine who teaches up in Holland, and he says, 
you know, you need to learn like a child. Just throw yourself into the music and immerse yourself. And I kind of think that's great if you're a child, but even once you're like, you know, 20 years old and there's other things in your life, there comes a point where you kind of got to do a little discipline and do a little, little homework, you know. And I think the music theory is not as hard as a lot of people think. For me, it was just like memorizing a lot of things, key signatures, memorizing what the four chord is, how diatonic harmony works. So after um, uh, a few months at Berkeley, I'd kind of got the diatonic concepts down, which is a big obstacle in learning. I know from being a teacher now for 30 years to a lot of students trying to explain uh, you know, what diatonic means. And even though that already probably to some of your listeners sounds a little too technical, it's like that little bit of knowledge can just really, it explains the Milky Way. It just opens up so many things in the universe to you, you know, uh, about how a Beatles song was written. And not that they were thinking this way, but if you analyze it, that's where it was coming from. It was like basic 5-1 resolution, or this is the two chord. Uh, why are those all together? Why are they all the same in the same family? Um, so that was a big learning thing for me. Berkeley, then I went back to Alabama, and we continued on kind of playing top 40, but still more, at the time, we were still getting away with playing Jean-Luc Ponty songs one minute and then playing a Beatles song the next, I, so. I find it insane. I mean, whether this is, whether Berkeley is the kind of college where just no matter what year you go there, you can name drop famous guitar players. But you were talking about some of the guitar players that, that were on the same course as you. And it's, like, it's almost like a who's who of just like, so what are some of your mm. memories of, uh, you know, well, the guys Berkeley that was, used Berkeley was kind of hanging out. I, mean, I, just, I just remember a lot of like, I'd never, I'm from Alabama, so I'd never really hung out with uh, any European guys before. Mm -hmm. So I just remember learning how to roll my own cigarettes uh, and uh, hanging around with a lot of like smelly French guys, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, <laughs> France. No, it's okay. like... <laughs> it was a year, years ago. This is the way it was, you know. And I wasn't used to that. That was just a whole cultural thing, yeah. you know, hanging out with the guys, you know, drinking with them. And, and this, it was more than just the plane. But they kind of got me started with like two fives, you know. And mm -hmm. I remember one time, so I kept, I was always asking questions. I remember like saying, well, what are you thinking of when this chord changes up a minor third? And he goes, one guy's maybe had a cigarette. He goes, just go figure it out. He just said that. And it was like... A, it kind of scared me until I said, oh, yeah, you know, he's right. I just need to go and <clears throat> work it out myself. So I did. I mean, I just started practicing scales and mm -hmm. practicing the modes. And we had classes where you had to actually write out the different chords for the modes for the third. So that kind of, I kind of figured out what that was all about. Um, don't want to get into too much of that now, of course, but that, it enabled me to at least understand, uh, you know, jazz and, what, and yeah. what to solo over. Now I knew, I, now I had a little bit more of a clue of what Larry Carlton was playing when he played over the solo on Kid Charlemagne or something like that, you know. Yeah. So it just all started to open up and it always, and the cool thing about being at that time is that there was always a way to apply it. Mm -hmm. You know, the knowledge that I learned at Berkeley, I was, I was, I could immediately apply to whatever was popular because that was just like, you know, it was the 70s, it was late 70s and like stuff for guitar was just really happening then. Um, but you and you talked a little bit about some of the bands that you formed with Jeff Buckley and stuff that you did. Well, with Scott that was Henderson. later. Oh, that's later. Is yeah, that? we. Um, I thought this was your that when you. The, yeah, the I was still in thing. Alabama. I'd gone back to Alabama, and then like uh, five years later, uh, I won a scholarship. They had these Larry Carlton scholarship mm -hmm. through Guitar Player Magazine. There was a BB King scholarship and a uh, Eddie Van Halen scholarship, and a Larry Carl. I won the Larry Carlton right. scholarship, so I got free school. So I went out to school at 85, and yeah, in 1985 at MI was a pretty amazing time too. Um, 
it was a little bitty school. It was like it was on the second floor of a building on Hollywood Boulevard. And I remember walking down the hallways oh, see. and you'd be like Scott Henderson, Frank and Bali, Jordi Orio, Robin Ford, Jennifer Batten, Jeff Berlin. You know, guys it was like the school was just so full of great players at any given day. Um, and well, the, my it? classmates there, Jeff Buckley was one yeah. of my classmates, and not many people know that he was a great guitar player. I mean, he, yeah. he was only 18 at the time. I was already 28. Mm. So we were older, but still, the, the better players all kind of gravitated. You know, as you do, you kind of hang out. We were all, the, there were like about six of us that considered ourselves the hot guitar players. We used to always crowd together and try to play. And Jeff, we were always working on chord, on, you know, giant steps and standard songs and all that kind of stuff. Jeff was a really good He's had great ears, and he was a real smart kid, you know, and he could play anything. He had really great time. That's what I remember most about, you know, any good player is, like, usually I can spot them in a second because I, I can feel where their time is. And that's one common denominator. I think most of, that's all, it's one of the most common problems with my students through the years is getting them to play stuff in time because mm -hmm. when it's in, played in time, it means more, you know. Um, anyway, but Jeff was on... Before he'd start singing, or before he even started writing many songs, I think he had some demo stuff happening then. But we did several performances at MI. We were just—I uh, remember a jam session with me and him and Jeff Berlin, a famous bass player, and this drummer named Rory Flores, who is no longer with us. But we were just jamming at MI, and I remember they had these little rooms where you could just get in and set up and just start jamming. They were like performance rooms, and we were playing. All of a sudden, people started coming in because the jam was really good. I mean, Jeff was playing his ass off. I mean, he could. Jeff was really like a Holdsworth clone. Not many mm -hmm. people that he'd wear. He had an ovation, if I remember it right, it was like an ovation Les Paul copy. You know, a white guitar, and he wore it up really high, and he was just totally into all the Alan Holdsworth white interval chromatic stuff. And we were jamming, and it was, I think we were doing Footprints or some easy jazz song, and it started to fill up and fill up, fill up, and all of a sudden Jeff just stopped, stopped playing. I went to him and said, after I said, Jeff, why'd you, why'd you stop? He goes, I got nervous. Which is strange to me, considering what he became. Yeah. You know, he just really blossomed into... Um, he found he came into his own, you know. After he left school, he realized that he had kind of he didn't need that information for what he was going to do. And yeah. I don't think there's many guitar solos recorded of him playing. It's mostly um, you know, just his rhythm, plus yeah, his yeah. vocal and great, great lyrics. And what was it that? So apologies, I hadn't realized that you that you'd gone to sort of guitar school, then gone back to Alabama for five years, and then gone to another guitar school. Uh, what is it about? Um, Clearly, there's a, a fascination behind learning here that's obviously gone on to, you know, put you in good stead as a teacher. But what what is it that you, what's the, what is it that draws you to this sort of pursuit of knowledge? You know, like wanting to just know more. Is it? Well, I don't know if I have gone that far. I mean, I think at the point at the, at the time it was just I wanted to keep up with the Joneses. I wanted to be able to play whatever I was hearing on the record. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, I heard Larry Carlton. I wanted. I said, I want to know what he's playing. I want to know what that note is. Now, how come that note works on? What is that note? What is that chord? Why can that one note sounds? I wanted to know how you know how jazz worked. I never really wanted to be a jazz player per se. I mean, every we all went through a stage where we wore our guitars up really high and we all tried to play Joe Pass stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. But. I never consider myself a jazz player. I never would for a second. Because the guys who do that are, have dedicated their lives to it. The thing that got me and that kept me kind of propelled was the beauty of what guitar uh, initially it initially attracted me to the guitar, and that's the fact that a guitar can go like yeah, you know that kind of stuff is like I love that kind of stuff because there's no other instrument that can that can do that kind of. 
a little out of tune, but it has a lot of feeling. You can bend notes. You can, you can watch Jeff Beck. He's a master of how he just manipulates all the different sounds. You can pick that. There's so many things you can do. Um, so over the last couple of years, I've kind of gone back to what really makes guitar special to me. And I try to, in my master classes, try to, I've tried to come up with uh, little theories, exercises, uh, state of mind, little exercises you can get to where you, that's, that's, um, uh, to where you're going for that more than trying to play melodic minor in all seven right. positions. Because from my experience, I know, we, I happen to have a really great band in Los Angeles and it's like, to me, it's like a really great jam band uh, in that my music, there are some chord changes that go on during the melodies and there's some vibes, there's some kind of cool grooves and stuff. But the magic happens in my band, I think when we just break down the solos and most of my solos are pretty much one chord, but it's just the band, these guys are so talented, they really just make stuff happen with nothing. And that's, and I realized at some point years ago that you can affect just as many people with really simple bluesy stuff as you can by playing a lot of fancy stuff. I mean, when I think back, the stuff that really, really shook me when I was a kid was hearing Jimmy Page or hearing Freddie King, mm -hmm. or the early Freddie King stuff, or B.B. King. Um, a lot of it was blues oriented, but I got kind of bored with blues after a while. I mean, I've never been a dedicated blues guy either because I got tired of just the one, four, five progression. So there is a certain, um, there are certain records like Freddie King's Texas Cannonball, where it's a little bit more song oriented, or B.B. Mm -hmm. uh, King's Indianola Mississippi Seeds, which has like Joe Walsh on it playing with him and Carol King, and there's a Leon Russell song in there. So I like, I was still, you know, uh, influenced by all the harmony I heard from all the mostly British musicians like Led Zeppelin, Beatles, um, and but I love the groove and the sultriness and the sexiness and the feeling of blues stuff, which is actually where a lot of British stuff came from mm -hmm. to begin with. So it's kind of all connected in some weird way. Am I making any sense at all? Or am I just going around circles? No, it's all good. But where, where did, <laughs> after you finished at MI, yeah. um, what did you feel? Uh, I, I mean, what is that like? Two years, three years or something? <laughs> one year. At the time, it was just a one-year program, okay. yeah. And then, you so had you moved permanently then to LA? And you're sort of I thinking, had. right, I'm... Yeah, um, this is it now. And then it was like I was, you know, yeah, I was playing with you know other students. We were playing Filipino bar mitzvahs and weddings and doing these weird <laughs> whatever it took to make fifty dollars here, fifty dollars there. And um, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one really quick story. Yeah, um, do it. There was a um, my father. They've been sending me money all along you know, to help me live out in Los Angeles, and he finally had this. He said, "Alan, I think we need to have a talk." He goes, um, "What do you really want to do with your life?" You know, and I was thinking, oh, God, here it comes. You know, well, Dad, I really think I'm a good guitar player. I think I can do something with it eventually. He goes, well, look, it's like, this, we just can't do this forever. You're already you're 29 years old, you know, almost 30. If you want to come back and you know, get a job or something, you, you know, we're all proud of you or whatever. So anyway, I, like, I hung up the phone all depressed. And then I got a phone call literally the next day from this guy, this guitar player who's still one of the top studio guys in Los Angeles who I'd met through a friend. His name is John Goo. Um, and he's a great guitar player. And he said, and what they used to do, they had a like an old 80s version of uh, what is now like American Idol. Then it was called Star Search. And what they would do is like they would, the band, the studio guys would record all the music in the mornings. And then later in the afternoon, they'd do the video shoot with whoever the singer was or mm -hmm. whoever the main artist was. And the band would be on stage, but they were all playing to the recorded tracks, yeah. right? So he said, look, Alan, we've already recorded this track um, for the, but can you come in this afternoon and just play like play air guitar? You go pay a hundred bucks. I went a hundred dollars. 
So I said, sure, man, I'll be there. So um, I show up and they dress me, they put a tuxedo on me and they give me a little Ibanez, whatever the cheapest guitar from Guitar Center was at the time. And it wasn't even plugged in, you know? And so I'm just going like this, you know, kind of playing to the music, you know? But the next day I got a call from my dad who had seen me in Alabama oh, on TV and he goes, Alan, we are so proud of you. I oh. go, Dad, I, I wasn't playing at all. It was, you know, he goes, it doesn't matter. We saw you on TV. That's all. So. Um, oh, that's nice. Well, that's a, it was that's nice, a cool moment. It was a nice moment, but, it, you know, perception is everything, you know, and that's uh, not that I did anything with my career, but it enabled me probably to stay out in California for a few right. months later, uh, longer. And then I started getting some gigs with different bands, not because of that, but just because I stuck it out in Los Angeles a little bit longer. But uh, at the time, it was there were a lot of smooth jazz was starting to happen, mm -hmm. which is not the most demanding music to play, And but there were a lot of bands that were going out of Los Angeles then, so I started auditioning for them and... And I got several, so I toured with guy Richard Elliott for a while, and Bobby Caldwell, who has had a big hit, uh, What You Won't Do For Love. Do you, that song popular here? I know, I know the name, but... Um, what you won't do, do for love. That was his big hit. Um, but he sang great, Bobby still does, he's still around. But that was my first, one of my first gigs, and then I got a band called Hiroshima, which is a smooth jazzing with Japanese instruments, and, and uh, I toured some with Natalie Cole and Roberta Flack, doing like little short tours uh, here and there. And then I got Randy Crawford's gig. Randy mm -hmm. Crawford uh, kind of picked us all out of, I think it was Bobby Caldwell's band in 1990. So from 1990 to 2005, I was with her pretty much traveling around the world, playing uh, ever. We just played in Cheltenham uh, a few months ago, I think. Mm -hmm. Am I pronouncing it right? Cheltenham. Cheltenham. At the race course. Cheltenham. 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 I'm from Cheltenham. I know. Add that to the many long list of English towns that you don't say how they're spelt. Uh, slough <laughs> is the best one. Uh, Which one? Slough. Because you would pronounce that as slough if you just read it. S-L-U-F-F? Uh, well, yes. But that's not how it, it's spelled. S-L-O-U-G-H. Oh. But most people just say it's, is that slough? That's not slow, slow, but it should be. be a great name for a town. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, um, but that well, yeah. So that uh, that's what happened, and then I just you know Gino. Uh, other gigs came later. Gino Vanelli, um, different people, you know, would hire me, and uh, yeah, as time went on, I mean, I started to realize that I hated most of everybody else's music, and I wanted to do my own. Basically, <laughs> I, I kind of had a bad attitude, I think, for some of those bands, especially the smooth jazz guys, because a lot of them were. I mean, they, I think they took themselves a little too seriously. And I would be in the band going, God, this music really sucks, doesn't it, guys? And then the leader would be going, no, it's my music, you know. Realize it was politically maybe Oops. the wrong thing to say. Well, anyway, but I was, I was ready to move on anyway. I think a lot of music I wasn't really enjoying. I was trying to make the, the most out of it. Uh, I don't want to mention any names. But this is, but this is where... I could. Because I, I was surprised when I started going through your back catalogue that your... your first sort of I've been fired stuff. by everybody no 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 I haven't read. I just read nice <laughs> things about you I've been fired um, from the best <laughs> but your solo career uh, is really a relatively recent thing I mean 2005 yeah. was the first um, I waited that's another message I tell the students I waited way too long right to do that because you know you learn um, you learn so much about yourself and about right. It's not only about writing music. I mean, you just learn a, a lot about life and mm -hmm. yourself when you have to make your own CD. I mean, you putting a song together is one thing. You know, making sense with a bridge and, a, and the different sections and soloing and playing the before and then hiring the right guys mm -hmm. who you're going to get along with, who are going to interpret it the way you hear it. There's all that, and then trying to play your stuff on top of it, and then making sure they're all kind of make sense to each other, and then you mixing it. 
finding the right way to mix it and learning that up in the studio and then like you know, mastering it and then getting the artwork done and then having the nerve or the balls to actually hand it to somebody and say here's what I do yeah. and, and like it that's a it's a big thing in every step of the way it's like a really big learning process and I loved it I mean it was um I got really lucky uh, my first uh, record the first person I ever gave it to was Hiram Bullock remember mm -hmm. Hiram Bullock oh, the guitar well. player I regularly, regularly say that his version of uh, Little Wing on the Sting, um, yeah, the awesome. second Sting album, is... or the early Steps Ahead stuff uh, when he played like Beirut. I you see because when <sighs> I, I've struggled to find Hiram Bullock died uh, probably even. It really, I don't think it was long after that Sting album came out. No, probably not. Um, is it on Nothing Like the Sun? I think it's on Nothing Like the Sun. There's a cover of Little uh, Little Wing. It's like the last track, and it's just no. Hiram was really cool. I mean, I've never seen him. With, there was a David Sanborn. He used to have a TV show called right. Night Music. That was a great where they combine. I mean, they had, the the house band was like Marcus Miller and Don Grolnick maybe on keyboards and Omar Akeem and Hiram Bullock and. I had seen Hiram's name on so many like fusion records mm. from David Sanborn. He was always one of those kind of guys. Is that what? Is that because could I get... couldn't find a lot of when I tried to sort of just look for Hiram Bullock mm. stuff generally. I didn't find a lot. So it's David Sanborn, which yeah. was his main gig, was it? Yeah, and, right. and I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff he did. I think he did some sort of Klaus Ogerman, but he was like one of those kind of guitar players who he was. He had a great blues feel, but you know um, he could also play over chord changes mm. when he wanted to, and he just knew when to do it right. And he played with such authority. He was a great guy. Anyway, I had met him traveling with Randy Crawford like we had done so many jazz festivals around the world we would see each other backstage and you know we were never really close we you know we weren't having lunch mm -hmm. together or anything but you know uh, but we saw always talk and hang during the festival so he knew who I was mm -hmm. and the first year after I finished my first CD I remember just seeing him at the NAMM show and I had mm -hmm. like 10 of them in my bag I was ready to give them out to everybody you know and he was the first person I just gave it to him and he you know there was that week of fear where I was going Oh, f he hated it. He didn't listen to me. He probably just threw it out. It sucks. My, I'll never make another record. And then he wrote me this big long email with all these like beautiful things he said about each song. He said, "How did you layer this?" And it was he went into detail about each. He really listened to the whole CD, mm -hmm. and it was really. After that, you know, he was. I, I had them. I mean, of course, I loved him that much more. <laughs> like Donald Trump, give me compliments. You're great with me. <laughs> no. Uh, you know what I mean. I didn't mean to go there, but I mean, no. He was just a nice guy, and, and that was the, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to be so nice to me, you know. Uh, and oh, that's so a sweet story. It was a sweet story. So we kind of do. I do a song in my set, uh, often called Cactus. Mm -hmm. He did a version of the song that was originally recorded by David Sanborn and Joe Beck, not Jeff Beck, but Joe Beck back in the seventies. And Hiram redid it. It's an old Don Grolling song. Yes. Um, you remember it. Um, song anyway it was Hiram as best I think you know and yeah. he just plays great so um yeah doing I tell all my students it's like a you've got to do your own music and that's how you kind of you know find yourself you know and it's learning it's not just playing and getting out there it's about writing and knowing people and getting your comfort group of people you work well with all that stuff's like so important what has uh, put life. you off do you think uh, I, I mean I listen to you've had Five solo albums? Five. five I have another band albums. called Wonderland Park. That's, oh, like a, okay. that's like a trio that I did with a friend of mine. I have a friend who um, is a part-time bass player. He's, we went to Berkeley and MI together. Great bass player, but mm -hmm. he made millions of dollars doing a... You ever heard of a cartoon called Pinky and the Brain? 
Yes, that's his creation. That's uh, he he went on to be uh, like a stand-up comedian. Then he wrote uh, Animaniacs and Tiny Toon, Darkwing Duck. A lot of things for Disney, uh, and then he did uh, his latest thing. Now he does Captain Underpants. Yes, that's why well, I've got I've got two daughters. Oh, both, they know all this stuff. Five yeah. year old and and eleven months. His old. name is Peter Hastings, and he's really right. he's the executive producer of all these shows. So you go to his house, he has like eight. Grammys, or not Grammys, uh, eight Emmys, you know, on, on display in his beautiful house. Captain Underpants, just genius. So we had this idea because he, he <laughs> always thought that what I, uh, he, he always thought that what I did had never really been documented or whatever. And I, probably what I do best is when I just have to, when I create a solo out of nothing, which brings me back to like what I love about guitar is that, you know, you can do so much with like just one progression. You don't need friggin' giant steps. And, you know, just getting through the changes of the giant steps, they'll give you awards for that anyway, you know. But, I mean, just trying to like create something from nothing is, I think, even more and kind of a special challenge. And it, you know, it can appeal to more people. What, what do you well. need to, what do you, what sort of zone do you want to try and get yourself in or sort of mental state do you want to get yourself in before you're into sort of songwriting mode or, or, or this idea of, you know, if you're well, taking a phrase of that you, that you is, like, yeah. but you're conscious that you want to very much ex- accentuate that sort of light and shade within there. What yeah, do you, what do you, I don't know. There's a real thing. I mean, I it, it helps to have a lot of uh, enough theory and enough chordal knowledge to know mm-hmm. how to um, give yourself options. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, if I had an idea, uh, something as simple as that, You'd go for all the diatonic things first. But if I have an option of different chords, or whatever, I can just start adding stuff with that note on the top of it. Um, there's one book by probably one of the better guitar players that ever lived, a guy named Ted Green. Do you ever know who Ted Green was? No, I don't know that. Ooh, you should Google Ted Green. He <laughs> passed away several years ago, too. He was another guy who was just uh, incredible. Uh, big telly lover. Mm-hmm. Um, or Google YouTube Ted Green and Christmas songs. Okay. Oh, my goodness. He could do any song in any key, reharmonize it. with. with he's, you know, those harmonics that some guys do so well. The, the uh, you know, the... Uh, I can't do it. I used to be able to do it. But he'd do like the whole flurries of chords, sounds like a harp player, you know. He was amazing. But he has one book called Chord Chemistry that, uh, the book is great, teaching you theory and jazz principles of improvising over two fives, which mm-hmm. is a big thing we can, if you want to go any more into theory, the five one resolution was a big thing for me to help me get gigs. Um, but anyway, in the middle of this book, he has like 20 pages of just like really cool chords. And just when I get bored, I just pick it up and go, oh, what is this chord? Oh, that's cool. What is this? And I just find new chords I never thought about. You know, chords and voicings you've never quite heard before, you know, in standard tuning, but they sound like you're doing like open tuning stuff. Mm. And he was a master of that, you know, and he could do any song in any key. So um, when I'm writing, I mean, it's nice to have a groove and a melody. Um, I wake up in the middle of the night, I I have a... probably a thousand ideas on my phone right now from just waking up where I kind of have an idea and I kind of pound the groove in mm-hmm. my pillow on the phone and then, then I kind of sing or, or or it might be a, just a rhythmic idea, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but 
How does it take shape? How does it go? I don't know. It's a combination of just hearing melodies and having having um, having options. You, you mentioned um, being quite a fan of stripping the guitar back to its sort of bare essentials, uh, and I guess when we when we say the guitar, we're probably talking the amp as well, right? Or, or I suppose if it's an acoustic, maybe not. But give give me an idea. You know, how does that? Because there are some guitar players that just, you know, it's it's lots of gain and a, a big wet kind yeah. of delay on it or something like that. And they that. still play great. There's great yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a incredible it's a players. It's, it's different a different approach, isn't it? I, I, um, uh, well, the gear thing, I'll tell you another story because I have a lot of stories. I've been around a long time. But Scott Hennis and I are, have been friends for mm-hmm. since I was a student. And I used to go to his house and we were so anal, especially him. He And pretty much Scott is doing his own. He's going at his own... Uh, frequency and he's kind of like and you're kind of like just kind of chiming in you know every now and then because scott kind of has but we'd be i'd go over there like every three days a week four days a week we'd be talking about celestian 35 watt as opposed to 25 watt or george l cable as opposed to magami and four feet length as opposed to six feet length core i mean it was like it's so anal to try searching for the right tone that's what everybody's trying to find the right tone and then at the same time Joni mitchell had this record called turbulent indigo um, and a song that I think David Crosby wrote um, called How Do You Stop? I remember listening to that guitar part going, that is the most beautiful guitar tone on this. Who is this? And it's stuff like, you know, got, the guy was going, with a wang bar, you know, and shaking stuff. And it was just beautiful, like harmonics and the tone. And I, and I got the guy's name. His name was Stuart Smith. And I remember um, a few months later seeing in Guitar Player Magazine, he was, uh, had a feature article in there. And I said, all right, I can't wait to figure out what kind of rack he has. You know, what kind of digital delay he's using or what kind of cable he's using, you know. And I don't know. I've never met uh, this guy before, but um, I, he's from Nashville, I think, and so I just assumed he had a southern accent. But in the article, he says, um, yeah, I have two amps pretty much. I have a Fender Vibrolux and a one twin reverb from like mid-60s. And he had like two Stratocasters. He had, I think he mentioned two pedals. Right. He had like a Boss compressor maybe or a Boss blues driver. I think it were the only two pedals he used. And that's when I said to myself, a, a little light went off, alarm went off in my head saying, you know, it's in your hands and it's in the guitars. Mm-hmm. So I just sold my rack stuff and started, that's when I first went to a pedal board back when not many people were, people were still using rack stuff. And I just started using a few pedals out in front and realized that the tone is... Um, you know, it's in your fingers and, and, and a good instrument, number one. I mean, um, yeah, effects help. You know, I have some pedal, pedals I'm really fond of that I've, I, I can't, kind of can't get away from. But for the most part, um, somewhere along the line, I don't know if it was trying to play like Alan Holdsworth or trying to play country stuff, but there's something how I, I learned how to use my left hand uh, a lot. Uh, let me kind of explain. I remember like trying to learn Alan Holdsworth licks, and he would, uh, I think maybe because he was a violinist one time, he, and I think even back Scott, before Scott used the wang bar so much, he would generate vibrato by going, or tremolo by going sideways. Yeah. You know? And I remember at the time I had a guitar that didn't have a wang bar on it, and that's how I used to try to do it, but it takes a lot of strength. Mm. So in doing so, I mean, I how think... How are you even doing that? I mean, it's like... Yeah, I'm just, you're just kind of like, you're in this tug of war, just kind of pulling the string across the fret. So you're, pu- Basically, you're literally pulling the string backwards almost. Yeah, you could... I guess I could have done that with the neck. Yeah. By the time you... Like that sideways. So you get yeah. the you get a vibrato that goes underneath the, fu- the fundamental pitch and above it. Yeah. So that was, I think that was a real big strength builder for me. Um, 
plus trying to sound like Alan Holdreth. I mean, I hate to say that, but I was trying to emulate him. I could never really figure out harmonically what he's doing. I'm not sure anybody ever will. But I was trying to, the best way uh, that I could, I could tell to get the kind of his sound was when I would descend, I would pull off. When I would ascend, I would hammer on. Simple mm -hmm. as that. So, you know, um, as far as the whole legato things go, because I, 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 I've been penned with the legato, you know, uh, moniker for a few years, and I never really set off to do that or anything. I just kind of figured out a way to... Um, uh, to get past my shortcomings. My shortcomings were that I couldn't really double pick very well. So I figured out how to do the same scales, but instead of picking every one of them, I would learn how to go. Now, a lot of times I'm not even picking, I'm just kind of going. Which is also maybe a good exercise for people who are just trying to get into like playing legato, which I think gives you a lot more dynamics. The window of being able to just softly go to something, you know, picking with your fingers really hard is like that as opposed to this if you're picking everything. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it's a valuable technique for that reason, but you can get, you could actually choose a scale. In this case, uh, let's say like A7. Uh, mixolydian or whatever scale you want to do, but just you know, practice it. Um, maybe not picking at all. And some of the notes will not come up because you're hammering on. And trying to keep you know in time because that's the hard part. Because too many guys when they do legato, so they go, and it sounds really stupid, you know, <laughs> for lack of. Not better words, but you know the thing is to keep it like steady, get a groove going that's nice and steady, you know, and go. Uh. That's even hard for me to do not now without being warmed up. Anyway, that's you get great. the idea. That's the idea to try to maybe build up that strength. And it's as simple as that. A lot of the exercises I give in my master classes are like how to simply get more creative and learn the fretboard without having to learn a million new scales, you know? So that's kind of the idea behind legato anyway. And then you put a little bit of distortion on it and, and it really becomes very lyrical, I think. Beautiful. Uh, Your picking is, uh, you know, it's unorthodox. not conventional, is it? No. Is well, that that's just... another thing that I think I just, I just like, I was the worst student. Did someone for at Dan MI Gilbert. not sort of beat this out of you? They just let you. At Berkeley, they tried to change my picking to make it like uh, the tradi traditional Mel yeah. Bay book, but I, Mel Bay uh, picking technique so you could do the hybrid stuff but yeah. I've always held it with three fingers and um, hold it sideways so I kind of every note I play kind of has a little like a a little right. thing to it
So it's a softer approach. I haven't broken a string in 40 years because you know, <laughs> my right hand is really light, and I just kind of brush it just enough to generate uh, I thought that the was energy. You had a special set of Alan Hine guitar strings. That was the secret. Yeah, that never breaks. That's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the idea. I mean, I was trying to sound like Alan Holdsworth, and even though I never harmonically figured out you know, completely what he was doing. I don't think anybody ever will. I just love that sound of the way Legato sounded. You know, the... And then back then I used to do vibrato. Like, like that kind of sound was more just the way I did. So I think a combination of all that stuff made my left hand really strong and made me depend left, less and less on my left hand, which was terrible for my classes of single string technique. Because I can never do, you know... Or whatever the Chikorita song was, you know, but I could go. Or something it's like quite that. I'm, I'm trying to sort of literally make my eyes go a bit wonky and like look, watch both hands simultaneously, but it's. Well, I'm not warmed up, I'm not really playing well yet, but because um, it takes a little bit of uh, a little extra time in the morning. But um, that's it. And you know, I was in Japan, they had like five cameras on me trying to figure out where I was picking and where I hide my pick, because I pick a lot with, like, with my fingers, I just took away the pick. Um, I've always been a fan of the way the guitar sounds. Just you can get with this stuff, you know. I mean, that's what I like. So, yeah. you've got here probably the most stripped back electric guitar possible. You know, an old Esquire. This, by the way, ladies and gents, is the real deal. So, uh, we'll be mugging Alan for this before he leaves. <laughs> that's right. Um, but, so it's very stripped back, but th presumably that uh, and, that's, and that's actually another you... reason why I have a hard time doing legato on this guitar because the radius is old and it's kind of that's another I'm just giving myself another it, excuse it for the way I play I just get through playing okay thanks but so where are you you know you're sort of approaching stuff and going okay I'm, I've, I've got to get every last drop that this guitar can give me because I you know I haven't got a big range <laughs> of different pickup tones I haven't got a big you know I haven't got any sort of active EQ or anything like that what is your you know is it just you know, uh, I know, I know. It's when you're switching to your to your fingers versus yeah. the pick. I mean, is it? It's all... a lot of things. You know, I, even even when I have a guitar that has two pickups on, if I'm in a store trying out a guitar, if somebody gives me something to try out, I almost always switch it to the treble pickup. Mm -hmm. And if I can get a pleasing tone on the bridge pickup, then I'm kind of in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong with that tone at all. It's not too bright or. So if I, if I can get a nice tone out of that kind of stuff, it sounds really beautiful. And all that is is a little reverb and delay. Look, there's um, something about the old wood and something about the Telecaster design that's really special that has like every frequency you want in guitar, you know, if you have the right amplifier. Um, I, I could never afford this guitar by itself. Um, I pieced it together. Right. I bought the neck from a guy in Nashville uh, for like $4,000 because I just really wanted it and I had some money, so I bought it. And I had this guitar like over the last six or seven years on probably four or five different bodies mm -hmm. and they all sounded great all sounded great so i'm convinced that probably 50 or 60 percent of the tone in a guitar is the neck i really believe that's true and it doesn't have to be the biggest neck um uh i learned that too it doesn't have to be a baseball bat actually sometimes i think it may even take away but if you have a good sounding neck that's like a lot of your thing right there because this guitar this neck sounds good on anything and then i just got lucky the next few years and found an original pickup set from 52 an original body that was dated with um, who was the guy Tadio gomez who would mm -hmm. date the necks you know so it's it's all the real deal 
uh, except for the, maybe the tone pots. Do you do you use tone and volume much, or are you just doing all the dynamics from how hard you? No, you I actually I have almost everything up up to ten. Okay, uh, I may roll it back a little bit for you know. Uh, If I have to, in a solo if I'm playing, but usually I just control it from um, the volume pedal on the thing. Right. I set it like I want. And you know, my music too, if you come see our band live, I'm kind of more like a saxophone player and I kind of have that one tone I use pretty much through the whole night. Mm -hmm. I don't really swap up and have a big array of chorus or strategy mm. sounding things or telecore. It's I know, I kind I know of the one on, tone. On your albums, although stylistically, they change a little. But the tone um, is kind of the same. The tone's very consistent, isn't it? Through, uh, I notice a lot as well. You do you do a lot of stuff where you play electric guitar over acoustic guitar, kind of. Chords. I layer a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's that's really got to be beautiful. From, thank you. It's got to be from my. Um, I would think from my Led Zeppelin. Right. I think I, I I can't play keyboards. I've never been able to play keyboards. So, uh, in lieu of that, I'd get like a slide it, if I wanted to hear. I might do. You'll hear stuff like that in the background, where I'll use an ebo and wah wah together with slide guitar. That kind of, and you layer it a couple of times, and you and you can get some really nice ambient choral, you know, soundscapes. And um, I think this is. I mean, I'm fascinated as well. I because I, I when fascinated that again you leave the volume on 10 all the time i kind of thought with a single pickup guitar well, I thought you'd be like oh yeah it's here i think and if you watch jeff here, beckman you know he he's always yeah. just and stuff but i think a lot of it is like where you pick on the fretboard you know where, what you Is this how you caress the, 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 the strings on the guitar? Caress. That's the word of the day, ladies and gents. Caress your guitar strings. But you know, voices are really important. So and it's like good. when you pick with your fingers, you can do like a harp player. You, you mm. can be more selective. You know, you don't need um, necessarily to be to know everything about drop three or all these voicings that are kind of more difficult or more involved. But you can take the chords you do know and just kind of be selective with which ones and just mm -hmm. kind of pluck which ones you... So, and all I'm doing there is like finding notes that are in the scale close and, and being selective with which, which notes I pick. It's, you know, it sounds a lot prettier than it probably should. It's, but, you know, it's, it's so pretty. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, there's, that's that. That's that beauty of um, what makes guitar great. There's a lot of great guitar players in the world who play freaking great, greater over changes, better than I'll ever play. But to me, they sound like really frustrated uh, saxophone players in a guitar player's body. You know, I, <laughs> I like the guitar. The guys who pick up a guitar like this and kind of see what it can do through a Fender Deluxe. Yeah. Because um, that's the beauty of guitar. I mean, the guitar is the only instrument where you can do it. You can do that on piano or oboe or French horn or anything, you know? So, you have to um, be pretty good on the French horn to do that. Really. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Just think if I could. Um, anyway, so that's... Um, 
Frank, yeah, I kind of come back to this like real basic setup, and and um, I'd love I'd love to hear you just strum a bit on a, acoustic, because again, I love that. Well, I don't know. I don't really play acoustic that much. I mean, I, they're, they're on my records. That's just because I use them for texture. Yeah, I'll hold this if you want. No. I just think it's. I just wondered if you sort of approach it differently, Same way. and or. It's, Strings are kind of high for me. I don't know, I'd have to work with it. So you, you don't write on an acoustic then, you write predominantly on an I write on acoustic actually, but oh, my do. action, I have like an old Martin Triple O Twenty Eight from like the 60s. Set up, like an electric, set up really it? low, yeah, yeah, so it's pretty much I might as well be playing acoustic. And I write too many songs in the key of D because I like drop D too. <laughs> Do you use a lot of other open tunings, or just like? But yeah, so well, uh, I always keep a guitar around that has some kind of weird tuning that I don't know what it is, just so I pick it up and it, it just makes me kind of like not just, think from the analytical part of my brain. You know, it's kind of fun just to like you're just picking up some weird instrument for the first time ever, and yeah. it's I like doing that just to keep my ears kind of fresh harmonically. But no, I'm not an acoustic guitar player. I just saw Tommy Emanuel last week, and he's he's your but you were talking about who was the, the the dude that you were saying you loved that kind of Celtic vibe, John Letherman or he's a guy named John Leventhal. Leventhal. Um, we write correspondence every now and then on Instagram, but he's if you go to um, Instagram, he's on there someplace. I think it's just John Leventhal. But he was a producer who produced, got famous producing Sean Colvin, who was an artist who won a few Grammys about twenty years ago. But the record is still my favorite record of all. Time. There's a couple guitar solos, but it's mostly about the way he layers and mm -hmm. just approaches guitar. And he's one of those kind of guys who can play the most simple stuff and just, if anybody out there has ever done studio work, you know how hard sometimes the most simple stuff can be. Because mm -hmm. your time's gotta be right, your execution has to be correct, and the, everything just has to fall in place. And he's just a master of that. And he's really, um, his hands, he just, you know, he might be playing an old Epiphone Sorrento or a old Telecaster mm -hmm. or whatever. But he always uses like open tunings and down the E flat and maybe down the C sharp and he's just wonderful. A king of just doing like. A <laughs> See, I, I can't even do it that well. I'd have to, you know, have the right amount of tequila to really get. <laughs> tequila. <in> Bartender. <laughs> uh, but no, he's wonderful. And there's a guy named Blake Mills. Have you ever heard of Blake yeah. Mills? Who's a new guy out now? Who's just wonderful? That kind of stuff, you know. It's what you grow up doing, and what you what you gravitate towards, and what you what you fall into. And to me, uh, listening to him play uh, is what guitar does mm -hmm. differently than any other instrument does. And he just uh, he brings out the qualities of this instrument so well. You know, that's why I love listening to John Leventhal. And he's not really a solo artist at all. But he's uh, married to Roseanne Cash now, so you can hear him on all her stuff. And the production, he did a Mark Cohn record, and uh, I think he worked with Bruce Hornsby some on a record. And, so he gets around, but he's uh, one of those kind of guys who I think are really st steeped and, and knowledgeable of the Appalachian, Americana, Heartland type of stuff, yeah. have, uh, if you would. But I've never been that much of a, you know... Really. 
Well, it sounds good to well, me. We should just we should talk about gear and then and then talk about um, okay you know, where people can find out more about you. So, your top three guitars for where you are right now. No, actually, your top three guitars ever, either. You can you can either do whether your top I own them three now or not. Yeah, I... you can either do the three best guitars you've ever had or your three guitars that you'd have now. Well, both. Answer both those questions. Yeah, well, this is probably ranks up in the, on the yeah. top just because it's, it's... Well, that's good that you've still got it. I won't sell this one. Good. Well done. Unless you offer... How much are you offering? <laughs> um, I had a uh, 1964 335. That was an awesome guitar. Um, in 64, that was the same year, well, I guess Eric Clapton did the cream stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And, and this when Gibson started making the necks really thick again. This was a stop tailpiece. Sunburst guitar that I traded for uh, a 56 Stratocaster, okay. which was a nice guitar too, but the 335 I really miss. Um, I had a 64 SG, that was like the George Harrison year. Mm -hmm. That was also for the same reason, because the next they started making really substantial. Before they changed, in 65 they started making Gibsons with uh, the T-top pickups and they changed the neck angles on them. The neck started getting thinner. Mm -hmm. Um, so 64 was still like the last year of the really great Gibson stuff, I think. Mm -hmm. So those two guitars, that SG and the 335 and this guitar, I have a Les Paul now at home that's my best Les Paul I've ever owned. It's a 54 Les Paul that uh, has humbuckers in it. Mm -hmm. So there's no... Uh, that was a, well, like a retro job, is it? Someone's, someone's rerouted it for humbuckers. Yeah, they messed it all up at some point. But, but, but it's still the main thing about the it, it's all mahogany. There's no maple on top of the guitar. Right. And it's got humbuckers, uh, which I probably would have preferred over the P90s. Mm -hmm. And it's got... a the 17 degree headstock angle mm -hmm. as opposed to the uh, 14 degree. You know, they changed that also later in the okay. balls. I didn't know, I didn't, I knew, I thought it was, is it Epiphone or something? Like, see, this is, so this is 17 degrees and yeah, like thought, the 14 degree is like a little bit less. I know, I thought, I thought all the Gibson stuff was still 17 degrees. But no, hey. not in 65, they changed. So all the, a lot of the guitars, all the Gibson guitars, and I don't know if all of them, but I know the 335s mm -hmm. and Les Pauls, the later when they started making them again in the late 60s, mm -hmm. they had the, the the lesser angle. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the early ones that has a nice angle on it, and it's um, it just sounds great. Awesome. All mahogany, the ebony fretboard. So there's, there's, so of the guitars you own now, you've got this old Les Paul, you've got your Esquire, and what's the I've got a couple of SGs from the mid '80s that I like a lot. They have like a Brazilian rosewood on them. They're cool. early, and I have a, a I have a Martin so a no 65. Strats. I have a couple parts casters. Mm -hmm. I have a Strat that has a lot of 1956 parts on it. Mm -hmm. The pickups are from 1956, and the bridge, um, and the electronics are all from 56, and it's a pretty nice guitar. But the but the, but the neck itself is a. Uh, some guys in Sweden gave me this beautiful. Uh, what do you call it? Was cross cut? Not cross cut. Um, Cortison. Cortison, yeah, mm -hmm. neck, and it's a beautiful maple neck, and the the body is like a relict sunburst, and that guitar sounds great. But I've got like three strats, and the exotic stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the company called Exotic makes really nice stuff. I think uh, mm -hmm. their new guitars. They have a standard one that they, they give to the public, but on mine, they demagnetize the middle pickup because I never use the middle pickup at all. And, I'm, and after I had played my, this Esquire for a few years, I was kind of under the belief that the least amount of magnetic pull you get from the pickups, the, maybe it has a little more zing, mm -hmm. if only a little bit more, but it's still there. And um, so they, um, they demagnetize the middle pickup for me on that guitar, and then they shape the back of the neck for me special. Yeah. And they're... Right now, they're trying to make a replica of this guitar. They're trying to do an Alan Hines Esquire guitar, which I'm sure such a great looking guitar. Probably two people will buy. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, you never know. But the idea is because this is such a great guitar, it's such a great instrument. They're going to try to recreate it best they can. I, I don't know what it, I think. I don't know what it is about really, really great guitar players being drawn to very, very simple 
instruments, but I don't know, I guess it's because they, it's all here in the hands well, and it just doesn't need to have But then you have Alan Holzer too, who was incredible, and he was really into the high-tech, even, yeah. you know, synth guitar stuff, and always experimenting with... I played a couple of his guitars one time, they were like, you know, the necks were exactly the same here as they were up here, you know, real thick, and yep. the action was just incredible, lightweight. You know, for what, if you wanted to play that style, that was the best guitar you can probably get, so... But you're right, a lot of guys have gone back to, when I think about Mike Landau or Robin Ford, a lot of the guys, they... You know, they kind of got guitars right, I guess, back in the 50s and 60s, you know, and they... Um... Maybe. Uh, so, they were your guitars, uh, and then okay. pedal and amps-wise, I mean, you, you, you've got a... Uh, you've still got a few pedals on the floor here, although you said this is your fly kind of pedals rather than your big... I have a pedal board. LA board. My, I always kind of gravitate for, when I use pedal distortion, I still like the, the exotic stuff. I've been using the AC boost for a long time. Um, I think the cool thing about the AC... Uh, comp or the AC boost is that it um, it kind of masks and I, I, I just try to explain it that way because some pedals there are other pedals that I people give me pedals all the time to, to, to try out and a lot of them sound good on one day through one app for a certain style of music maybe mm -hmm. for the front pickup of your Strat when you're trying to get that nice Stevie Ray Vaughan type tone mm -hmm. might sound great but for what I use for the bridge pickup when I travel around the world no matter if I'm playing through a like, a, like I said before a JC120 that has like one blown speaker in it the AC comp always seemed to kind of mask it and make it sound really, uh, it's, it's very pleasing. It has all the harmonics without being compressed, without being too overly saturated. Um, and I almost always keep, I keep like a clean boost after it. Okay. Always Just, on. Always on. It seems to. I don't know. You know, there's probably a technical reason why it works, but it seems to help hit the front end of your amplifier a little bit, a little bit better. Make the feel, mm -hmm. make the uh, fingers feel a little bit um, uh, more responsive on the fretboard when I have that. And it, and I only have it set up like this because the you know the distortion should be before the volume pedal, of mm -hmm. course, to get the same degree of distortion mm -hmm. anywhere you are volume-wise. Um, and then I'm doing the wet dry thing too, which always seems to sound we, really good. We need great. to talk about. It. Can we just? I'll just. There's one okay, other. Yeah, sure. The have you used the chorus at all since? I think I turned it on one time. Did you? When we were doing, I was doing a. Yeah, and this is just a. It's just one that I found that has an. I was looking for a um, tri stereo chorus. You remember what this tri mm -hmm. tri stereo choruses mm -hmm. were back in the uh, '90s. I was looking for that kind of sound on a, uh, on a pedal, and that's what this is. And this actually is really great stereo. When I was playing with Randy Crawford a few months ago, we did some stuff in Germany, and she kind of needed that wide-open stereo thing, so this pedal does that really great. Uh, the, the new neighbor stuff is great, really good. Love yeah, I think so, course. too. Um, I have another pedal at home that's, uh, I can't even remember what it's called now. Uh, Another chorus pedal. That's more analog sounding, a little bit darker sounding. I use for like the real fast mm -hmm. uh, uh, trump, uh, rotary sound. But this is beautiful for this kind of stuff. You know, I use it. I have a couple of solo pieces I do live, and I kind of kick this in. those kind of chords.
Is there any recorded stuff other than YouTube of you just playing? No band. There's always a, there's always one or two ballads like that on my records. Because I could called... listen. I could listen to that all day. All day. This one I was really helped. Uh, Jimmy Johnson's uh, kind of a friend of mine through the years. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I've always liked that kind of like heartland, almost like country music, right? Yeah. It's real simple, but it's nice. Also, it's like it. Spinal Tap. It's very simple. It's all D minor. It's quite <laughs> D minor, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Now, and you got a little bit of delay oh. coming from the effects loop. Yeah, Why, so I, do should, I do that thing called uh, the wet dry thing, that where you take the speaker out of the amplifier and you tap into his box, and it continues onto the speaker. But you have a tap off of that that you send to whatever effects you want to use. At home, with my big pedal board, it goes back up to my board to like a DD500, the uh, Boss Delay, excuse me, and a, a Digitech. Now you don't um, have to... And then I run both of those left and right uh, into two channels of another amplifier. And it's, and those are completely wet. And you, I'm just trying to think now. So you, you don't have to um, tap off the speaker like that. I've not said, just, I don't know if you guys will well, even... I guess you're gonna take a line out. Yeah, but or just do it, reason, the, do it from the, 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 the board so that aha, you're feeding into... If you into... do it from the board, then you wouldn't have it going through the amp first. You want the amp sound generating the, Right, the so tone. you want the same preamp tone kind of on Yeah, each. going to the effects. Right. Yeah. Um, this seems to be the way everybody's doing it. You can buy the, I think John Sir makes a little pedal as right. well. And the one I have is LA, um, I, what, yeah, LA what is Sound that? Design. It's a guy named uh, Dave Phillips. So, who, so if you're not... If you're not sure, so what um, Alan's got here is he's got his distortion pedals and chorus pedal and volume pedal. This one a guy in Italy gave me, which I'm not quite sold on, but I think it's really nice. It's just a... We'll um, give this guy a free plug. Who's it? Come on. No, he's a sweet Chir guy, and the pedal sounds really great. I just haven't had a chance to use it yet, and it's called... Chirality? Chirality Chir Audio. Chir sounds great to me. The ACs that I'm used to... The regular vine pedal, then the clean boost, this, the RC, and then my deal. And really, besides that, when I'm playing live, I mean, I use wah wah a couple times a set, usually on something. Yeah, for, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I've become a good wah wah player through the years. Um, and I have a nice, uh, a really great Octavia. It's a, kind of a little boost. It's not really a fuzz. It's called it's called Shinei, S H I N dash E I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're from Japan, and like they're quite pricey, but I got a good deal on one, and uh, it's great for like once a night when you want to use that Octavia sound, you know. Uh, and I have a nice great. tremolo. I have an electro harmonics stereo tremolo pedal. That's uh, is it called the Pulsar or something like that? I can't remember yeah, what it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like a stereo in and stereo out. Because at mm -hmm. one point I was doing my whole pedal order stereo, so um, it's nice to have that option if you want to do the uh, satellite Fender Rhodes. Oh, yeah, cool. But thing. so so you so this goes into the front of the Hot Rod Deluxe, and then you disconnect the speaker output of the Hot Rod Deluxe and plug that into this tap 
box. I guess it's some sort yeah, of Yeah, and you have a uh, control over that, like how much you send through the effects. And that goes straight to the effects which are 100% wet. So then that, right, so that goes into your delay pedal and any other effects, and then it's plugged into the... Whatever you want to plug it whatever into. Whatever you want to plug into. So right. in this instance, we've got it going through the b Yeah, it be, it's, it's sensitive because um, you can't really, you know, you have to have it pretty clean, mm. and you can't have it too boomy or too trebly because it doesn't, it kind of freaks out mm -hmm. all the reverb, but you just dial it in. But it it's does a, sound a lot right. of guys are doing that. Well, you get the, the unimpeded, you know, clean sound of the amp. Like mm. if I just... If I just go here and turn off the thing, it's... Um, so I turn this one off, and then you can just no, hear no, no. it? Or I'll just do it here. Oh, okay. I can just turn off here, so then I just get... Uh, nothing. Which is happening all the time. Yeah. And then I can just roll back in how many much effects I have. So and if it, you, and if it even you, gives you a little bit of the stereo imaging because one amp is completely clean and the other amp has yeah. all the stuff in it. So this this is completely wet. This on in isolation, this would sound. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, easier for the mixer guys too. They can, they, if you're in a, if you're in a like a gymnasium and they don't want all that reverb going on, they can all just, just dial it down. down. So it's kind of cool that way too. But um, yeah, the mixers love it because they can get a really great sound out of it. You but do you know, have a sound that is distinctly you. I mean, that's the difference I think between. This one, the AC comp sounds like you, and this one sounds a little bit different to what I'm it's used to bit, hearing well, you. I'm, I'm not really used like. to I just got yeah. it a few days ago, so I'm just dialing it in. But the guys are real sweet in Italy. Um, oh, man. Well, so... I, you know, I, I think this has been an absolutely brilliant, uh, brilliant, brilliant afternoon of, of talking guitar well, and fun. tone. And hopefully, everyone that's watched this has kind of enjoyed hearing something, pick something up. But if you, uh, if guys want to find out a bit more from you, your 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 back catalogue of my of phone albums number is, is yeah, your back catalogue of albums is pretty accessible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, just iTunes or iTunes Spotify or, Spotify, or wherever you want. It's all over the place. Uh, I have um, AlanHines.com. Yes, H-I-N-D-S. And on the no, tuition side of things, though, if people are, people want to take it to you know the next level and actually learn a, uh, from you, where can they go? I do Skype lessons. Okay. Skype lessons are a little bit um, limited in that you can't really play together. But usually, yeah. I'm, I mean, I've been teaching for so many years at MI, I can usually hear um, a student play in a few minutes and kind of know what the problem is. You know, yeah. it's usually they don't know the scales can, can, well can enough. You tell or me? They're, yeah, well, <laughs> we can get into more analytical stuff too, as far as like scale knowledge and stuff goes, just which get, is kind just of just give up. Maybe just another day. But uh, you, I mean, it usually comes down to time, and tone, and uh, and like once I once like we were talking about before, getting back in tune with the instrument because a lot of guys are trying to do acrobatics and stuff on guitar that I, I think is kind of unnecessary. And I think mm -hmm. you can make so much more music if you just know how to tweak the real easy stuff out of the guitar. I mean, I can tell somebody this is, I, I like to tell this because it's, it's really true. I mean, if I if I learned an Alan Holdsworth lick and I was in the middle of playing and my mother was in the audience and I started going. You know, she'd probably go, where do we go wrong, honey? You know, <laughs> you know, but, but, it, but as soon as I go, she'd go, woo, that's my boy. You know, so like everything kind of comes back to the basic stuff that I think guitar does so well. That's my take on it. Anyway, maybe it's my old age. Maybe I'm just taking the path of least resistance or maybe I'm just Homer Simpson. But, <laughs> but I think that the guitar can be so expressive with so little, as long as you know how... As long as you have an imagination, and that's another thing, maybe for another day, we talk about little practice techniques on how to get the most out of your practice time and get the most out of like the minimal amount of knowledge. But you know? if people uh, 
Would you say True Fire is your best kind of online tuition stuff? Or yeah, there's another one called uh, Guitar Breakdown. This guy mm -hmm. Dave Clayton has one. It might be a little harder to find because True Fire is everywhere. And I'm scheduled. I'm supposed to go do another thing with True Fire sometime soon. Mm -hmm. But True Fire has a good one. Or Skype lessons or just write me. And people write me every few days and ask me questions about stuff. So I'm pretty accessible. Well, I must admit, it, it will put lots of different ways you can contact Alan or find out more about Alan in, in the description below this video. Um, what can I say? Other Thanks. Than Thank you so much. I am so looking forward to tonight. Um, Alan's doing a masterclass with us tonight. I am so excited <coughs> to see this clinic tonight. Um, I've never seen you play live before. I think it's going to be amazing. If you're coming, we shall see you there. I have a great background band. <laughs> it's right over there it, in my iPhone. It's called the Eye on the Phones. Called, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Little Eye on the Phones. It's an awesome backing band. Um, so hopefully we'll see you guys there. If not, please do try and engage with Alan somehow, check out his music or his tuition stuff. It's just phenomenal. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been it's lots of fun. Cool. Thank you very much for coming now over. Now let's go get a drink. Okay. <laughs> a beer, fish and chips. See you guys. Thanks See for you. watching. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit that subscribe button. See you next time.